0: part five section six of weird tales by e t a hoffman translated by j t Bealby, this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part five the entail section six the baroness appeared at the dinner-table in an elegant morning robe the dazzling whiteness of which exceeded that of fresh-fallen snow she looked worn and low-spirited but she began to speak in her soft and melodious accents and on raising her dark eyes there shone a sweet and yearning look full of aspiration in their voluptuous glow and a fugitive blush flitted across her lily-white cheeks she was more beautiful than ever but who can fathom the follies of a young man who has got too hot blood in his head and heart the bitter pique which the baron had stirred up within me i transferred to the baroness the entire business seemed to me like a foul mystification and i would now show that i was possessed of alarmingly good common sense and also of extraordinary sagacity like a petulant child i shunned the baroness and escaped adelheid when she pursued me and found a place where i wished right at the bottom end of the table between the two officers with whom i began to carouse right merrily we kept our glasses going gaily during dessert and i was as so frequently is the case in moods like mine extremely noisy and loud in my joviality a servant brought me a plate with some bonbons on it with the words from lady adelheid i took them and observed on one of them scribbled in pencil and seraphina my blood coursed tumultuously in my veins i sent a glance in adelheid's direction which she met with a most sly and archly cunning look and taking her glass in her hand she gave me a slight nod almost mechanically i murmured to myself seraphina then taking up my glass in my turn i drained it at a single draught my glance fell across in her direction i perceived that she also had drunk at the very same moment and was setting down her glass our eyes met and a malignant demon whispered in my ear unhappy wretch she does love you one of the guests now rose and in conformity with the custom of the north proposed the health of the lady of the house our glasses rang in the midst of a tumult of joy my heart was torn with rapture and despair the wine burned like fire within me everything spun round in circles i felt as if i must hasten and throw myself at her feet and there sigh out my life what's the matter with you my friend asked my neighbour thus recalling me to myself but seraphina had left the hall we rose from the table i was making for the door but adelheid held me fast and began to talk about diverse matters i neither heard nor understood a single word she grasped both my hands and laughing shouted something in my ear i remained dumb and motionless as though affected by catalepsy all i remember is that i finally took a glass of liqueur out of adelheid's hand in a mechanical way and drank it off and then i recollect being alone in a window and after that i rushed out of the hall down the stairs and ran out into the wood the snow was falling in thick flakes the fir-trees were moaning as they waved to and fro in the wind like a maniac i ran round and round in wide circles laughing and screaming loudly look look and see aha aha the devil is having a fine dance with the boy who thought he would taste of strictly forbidden fruit who can tell what would have been the end of my mad prank if i had not heard my name called loudly from the outside of the wood the storm had abated the moon shone out brightly through the broken clouds i heard dogs barking and perceived a dark figure approaching me it was the old man francis why why my good herr theodore he began you have quite lost your way in the rough snowstorm the herr Justitiarius is awaiting you with much impatience i followed the old man in silence i found my great uncle working in the justice hall you have done well he cried on seeing me you have done a very wise thing to go out in the open air a little and get cool but don't drink quite so much wine you are far too young and it's not good for you i did not utter a word in reply and also took my place at the table in silence but now tell me good cousin what it was the baron really wanted you for i told him all and concluded by stating that i would not lend myself for the doubtful cure which the baron had proposed and it would not be practicable the old gentleman interrupted for to-morrow morning early we set off home cousin and so it was that i never saw seraphina again as soon as we arrived in k my old uncle complained that he felt the effects of the wearying journey this time more than ever his moody silence broken only by violent outbreaks of the worst possible ill-humour announced the return of his attacks of gout one day i was suddenly called in i found the old gentleman confined to his bed and unable to speak suffering from a paralytic stroke he held a letter in his hand which he had crumpled up tightly in a spasmodic fit i recognised the handwriting of the land steward of r Zitten but quite upset by my trouble i did not venture to take the letter out of the old gentleman's hand i did not doubt that his end was near but his pulse began to beat again even before the physician arrived the old gentleman's remarkably tough constitution resisted the mortal attack although he was in his seventieth year that self-same day the doctor pronounced him out of danger we had a more severe winter than usual this was followed by a rough and stormy spring and hence it was more the gout a consequence of the inclemency of the season than his previous accident which kept him for a long time confined to his bed during this period he made up his mind to retire altogether from all kinds of business he transferred his office of justiciarius to others and so i was cut off from all hope of ever again going to arzitten the old gentleman would allow no one to attend him but me and it was to me alone that he looked for all amusement and every cheerful diversion and though in the hours when he was free from pain his good spirits returned and he had no lack of broad jests even making mention of hunting exploits so that i fully expected every minute to hear him make a butt of my heroic deed when i had killed the wolf with my whinger yet never once did he allude to our visit to r Zitten, and as may well be imagined i was very careful from natural shyness not to lead him directly up to the subject my harassing anxiety and continual attendance upon the old gentleman had thrust seraphina's image into the background but as soon as his sickness abated somewhat my thoughts returned with more liveliness to that moment in the baroness's room which i now looked upon as a star a bright star that had set for me at least for ever an occurrence which now happened by making me shudder with an ice-cold thrill as at sight of a visitant from the world of spirits revived all the pain i had formerly felt one evening as i was opening the pocket-book which i had carried whilst at r Zitten, there fell out of the papers i was unfolding a dark curl wrapped about with a white ribbon i immediately recognized it as seraphina's hair but on examining the ribbon more closely i distinctly perceived the mark of a spot of blood on it perhaps adelheid had skilfully contrived to secrete it about me during the moments of conscious insanity by which i had been affected during the last days of our visit but why was the spot of blood there it excited forebodings of something terrible in my mind and almost converted this too pastoral love token into an awful admonition pointing to a passion which might entail the expenditure of precious blood it was the same white ribbon that had fluttered about me in light wanton sportiveness as it were the first time i sat near Seraphina, and which mysterious night had stamped as an emblem of mortal injury boys ought not to play with weapons with the dangerous properties of which they are not familiar at last the storms of spring had ceased to bluster and summer asserted her rights and if the cold had formerly been unbearable so now too was the heat when july came in the old gentleman visibly gathered strength and following his usual custom went out to a garden in the suburbs one still warm evening as we sat in the sweet-smelling jasmine arbour he was in unusually good spirits and not as was generally the case overflowing with sarcasm and irony but in a gentle and almost soft and melting mood cousin he began i don't know how it is but i feel so nice and warm and comfortable all over to-day i have not felt like it for many years I believe it is an augury that i shall die soon i exerted myself to drive these gloomy thoughts from his mind never mind cousin he said in any case i'm not long for this world and so i will now discharge a debt i owe you do you still remember our autumn in our this question thrilled through me like a lightning flash so before i was able to make any reply he continued it was heaven's will that your entrance into that castle should be signalized by memorable circumstances and that you should become involved against your own will in the deepest secrets of the house the time has now come when you must learn all we have often enough talked about things which you cousin rather dimly guessed at than really understood in the alternation of the seasons nature represents symbolically the cycle of human life that is a trite remark but i interpret it differently from everybody else the dews of spring fall summer's vapours fade away and it is the pure atmosphere of autumn which clearly reveals the distant landscape and then finally earthly existence is swallowed in the night of winter i mean that the government of the power inscrutable is more plainly revealed in the clear-sightedness of old age it is granted glimpses of the promised land the pilgrimage to which begins with the death on earth how clearly do i see at this moment the dark destiny of that house to which i am knit by firmer ties than blood relationship can weave everything lies disclosed to the eyes of my spirit and yet the things which i now see in the form in which i see them the essential substance of them that is this i cannot tell you in words for no man's tongue is able to do so but listen my son i will tell you as well as i am able and do you think it is some remarkable story that might really happen and lay up carefully in your soul the knowledge that the mysterious relations into which you ventured to enter not perhaps without being summoned might have ended in your destruction but that's all over now the history of the r n tale which my old uncle told me i retain so faithfully in my memory even now that i can almost repeat it in his own words he spoke of himself in the third person one stormy night in the autumn of seventeen sixty the servants of arzitten were startled out of the midst of their sleep by a terrific crash as if the whole of the spacious castle had tumbled into a thousand pieces in a moment everybody was on his legs lights were lit the house-steward his face deadly pale with fright and terror came up panting with his keys but as they proceeded through the passages and halls and rooms sweet after sweet and found all safe and heard in the appalling silence nothing except the creaking rattle of the locks which occasioned some difficulty in opening and the ghost-like echo of their own footsteps they began one and all to be utterly astounded nowhere was there the least trace of damage the old house-steward was impressed by an ominous feeling of apprehension he went up into the great knight's hall which had a small cabinet adjoining where freiherr roderick von R used to sleep when engaged in making his astronomical observations between the door of this cabinet and that of a second was a postern leading through a narrow passage immediately into the astronomical tower but directly daniel that was the house-steward's name opened this postern the storm blustering and howling terrifically drove a heap of rubbish and broken pieces of stone all over him which made him recoil in terror and dropping the candles which went out with a hiss on the floor he screamed "Oh god oh god the baron he's miserably dashed to pieces at the same moment he heard sounds of lamentation proceeding from the freiherr's sleeping cabinet and on entering it he saw the servants gathered around their master's corpse they had found him fully dressed and more magnificently than on any previous occasion and with a calm earnest look upon his unchanged countenance sitting in his large and richly decorated armchair as though resting after severe study but his rest was the rest of death when day dawned it was seen that the crowning turret of the tower had fallen in the huge square stones had broken through the ceiling and floor of the observatory room and then carrying down in front of them a powerful beam that ran across the tower they had dashed in with redoubled impetus the lower vaulted roof and dragged down a portion of the castle walls and of the narrow connecting passage not a single step could be taken beyond the postern threshold without risk of falling at least eighty feet into a deep chasm the old freiherr had foreseen the very hour of his death and had sent intelligence of it to his sons hence it happened that the very next day saw the arrival of wolfgang freiherr von r eldest son of the deceased and now lord of the entail relying confidently upon the probable truth of the old man's foreboding he had left vienna which city he chanced to have reached in his travels immediately he received the ominous letter and hastened to r zitten as fast as he could travel the house-steward had draped the great hall in black and had had the old freiherr laid out in the clothes in which he had been found on a magnificent state bed and this he had surrounded with tall silver candlesticks with burning wax candles wolfgang ascended the stairs entered the hall and approached close to his father's corpse without speaking a word there he stood with his arms folded on his chest gazing with a fixed and gloomy look and with knitted brows into his father's pale countenance he was like a statue not a tear came from his eyes at length with an almost convulsive movement of the right arm towards the corpse he murmured hoarsely did the stars compel you to make the son whom you loved miserable throwing his hands behind his back and stepping a short pace backwards the baron raised his eyes upwards and said in a low and well-nigh broken voice poor infatuated old man your carnival farce with its shallow delusions is now over now you no doubt see that the possessions which are so niggardly dealt out to us here on earth have nothing in common with hereafter beyond the stars what will, what power can reach over beyond the grave? The baron was again silent for some seconds, then he cried passionately, No, your perversity shall not rob me of a grain of my earthly happiness, which you strove so hard to destroy. And therewith he took a folded paper out of his pocket, and held it up between two fingers to one of the burning candles that stood close beside the corpse the paper was caught by the flame and blazed up high and as the reflection flickered and played upon the face of the corpse it was as though its muscles moved and as though the old man uttered toneless words so that the servants who stood some distance off were filled with great horror and awe the baron calmly finished what he was doing by carefully stamping out with his foot the last fragment of paper that fell on the floor blazing then casting yet another moody glance upon his father he hurriedly left the hall on the following day daniel reported to the freiherr the damage that had been done to the tower and described at great length all that had taken place on the night when their dear dead master died and he concluded by saying that it would be a very wise thing to have the tower repaired at once for if a further fall were to take place there would be some danger of the whole castle well if not tumbling down at any rate suffering serious damage repair the tower the freiherr interrupted the old servant curtly whilst his eyes flashed with anger repair the tower never never don't you see old man he went on more calmly don't you see that the tower could not fall in this way without some special cause how if it was my father's own wish that the place where he carried on his unhallowed astrological labors should be destroyed what if he had himself made certain preparations by which he was enabled to bring down the turret whenever he pleased and so occasion the ruin of the interior of the tower but be that as it may. And if the whole castle tumbles down, I shan't care. I shall be glad. Do you imagine I am going to dwell in this weird owl's nest? No. My wise ancestor, who had the foundations of a new castle, laid in the beautiful valley yonder, he has begun a work which I intend to finish. Daniel said, crestfallen, then will all your faithful old servants here have to take up their bundles and go? that i am not going to be waited upon by helpless weak-kneed old fellows like you is quite certain but for all that i shall turn none away you may all enjoy the bread of charity without working for it and am i cried the old man greatly hurt am i the house-steward to be forced to lead such a life of inactivity then the freiherr who had turned his back upon the old man and was about to leave the room wheeled suddenly round his face perfectly ablaze with passion strode up to the old man as he stretched out his doubled fist towards him and shouted in a thundering voice you you hypocritical old villain it's you who helped my old father in his unearthly practices up yonder you lay upon his heart like a vampire and perhaps it was you who basely took advantage of the old man's mad folly to plant in his mind those diabolical ideas which brought me to the brink of ruin i ought i tell you to kick you out like a mangy cur the old man was so terrified at these harsh terrible words that he threw himself upon his knees beside the freiherr but the baron as he spoke these last words threw forward his right foot perhaps quite unintentionally, as is frequently the case in anger, when the body mechanically obeys the mind, and what is in the thought is imitatively realized in action, and hit the old man so hard on the chest that he rolled over with a stifled scream, rising painfully to his feet and uttering a most singular sound, like the howling whimper of an animal wounded to death, he looked the freiherr through and through with a look that glared with mingled rage and despair. The purse of money which the freiherr threw down as he went out of the room, the old man left lying on the floor where it fell. End of part five, section six. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.